Good morning, everyone. How are you? Excellent. It's good to see you. It's good to be here. Um, and, you know, sometimes sometimes you, you go through a week and at the end of it, you just got to kind of have a bit of a laugh, really, don't you? Don't you? Just feel like the world's going a little bit bonkers sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. So I thought we'd start with a, a slide um, near future game show. This is, I thought this was pretty funny this week. I saw this. Is it up there? Yeah. Sorry, Arthur, your answer was actually correct, but Paul shouted his opinion louder, so he gets the point. And an extra bonus point also goes to Sue, which she was offended by your answer. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit of light relief. <laughs> um, before we get into Habakkuk chapter 3, um, that's actually a very interesting and humorous description of where things are at in the world, aren't they? All upside down and, and twisted all around and we, sometimes we just really don't know which end is up and it seems all a bit crazy. But we're in Habakkuk and there are so many wonderful lessons for us to learn uh, and we've been learning them and I think I've been repeating them over and over every time I stand up here. So let's look at... Habakkuk chapter 3, I just want to encourage you to open your Bibles. We've been in primarily chapter 1 and 2 this year, and now we're approaching chapter 3. And when I say approaching chapter 3, um, I was expecting that, that I would sort of begin to unpack chapter 3 because it's an amazing vision, and we actually need to understand the prophetic uh, significance of it and what is he actually seeing and what is this description. But I felt the Lord apprehend me during the week and just direct me in a slightly different way, um, and you'll understand that. But suffice to say, at the end of uh, this, what I, my, my talk this morning, which will be a little bit shorter than normal, we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to enter, we're going to have a time when we make space to encounter the Lord because we need Him. Amen? Because we need Him. So, uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, the Lord's been speaking to him. Chapter 3 is actually a song. It's actually a song. Well, it's a prayer, but it's, from the, from the musical terms, the different words, the Hebrew words that are inserted at different places here, the, the shigianoth, which is, people are not quite sure what that means, but they believe it's a, some kind of a musical term. This is a song. And so Habakkuk is most likely a Levite in the, in the temple as well as a prophet. Um, and he's definitely got some musical understanding. And he turns his prayer, his experience, this vision that he's had, his encounter with God, which is, in a, which is called a theophany, he makes it into a song. Is there any better way to pass on this great vision to a people who are about to go into exile, right? The Babylonians are coming. They're going to be uprooted and taken away to a far place. And he gives them this song. He writes this song. And the Lord has already said to him, this message, this vision, this revelation, Habakkuk, you've got you to write it down and you've got to get it running. Get a herald and get this message out there. I think because time is short. So he writes it down, but he also turns it into a song. And how many of you know the Jewish people love to sing songs? Yeah. Boney M even wrote about that, right? By the rivers of Babylon. You know that one? 
You know that one? Yeah. Some of you don't. The young ones. But the song, it's actually from the scripture where we sat down, where we wept when we remembered Zion. Yeah. So um, Habakkuk 3, let's read it together. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day and in our time make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timan, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. He's quoting Deuteronomy 33 verse 2. His splendor was like the sunshine. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and he made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently. I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come upon the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. That's his song. That's Habakkuk's prayer put to music, I believe. A song of faith. I saw a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon this week and I thought, now this relates to Habakkuk. Get off the swing, Twinkie. Forget it, Mo. Wait your turn. Boof. <laughs> it's hard to be religious when certain people are never incinerated by bolts of lightning. I thought, that's appropriate to Habakkuk, isn't it? You know, that's kind of that kind of sums up his cry, doesn't it? <laughs> in chapters 1 and 2 why 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 do the good people suffer why lord why aren't you dealing with the injustice in the world in judah lord how about you answer my prayer i've got some pretty good reasons that i think you're 
us a little bit slow responding to the things that are important right now. And so Habakkuk lifts his voice. We've studied that in chapters 1 and 2. In chapter 2, God's answer in verse 4 is this, the one whose soul is puffed up will fail. In other words, the one who is proud, the one who thinks their top dog and behaves like that and inflicts injustice, they will fail. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And he's saying, you must have more confidence in me than in what you see with your eyes and understand with your mind. Don't rely on your own understanding. We know that proverb, right? Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to me. Submit to me. It's a bit hard, isn't it, you know? When things don't go the way we think they should, in fact, it looks like it's gone against us and the Lord is saying, don't lean on your own understanding. Submit to me. Bring it to me. Acknowledge me and I will make straight paths for your feet because I'm seated over all of that. I know the beginning from the end and that's the wisdom that he gives Habakkuk. God wants Habakkuk to have a higher vision actually. He's trying to lift him up out of responding just to what's going on around him. He wants him to see that God is righteous and holy in everything he does and that he will cause his eternal plans and purposes to come to pass. And that's, that's the issue that's going on in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, isn't it? Basically that evil will flourish for a time, but it will be brought down. Habakkuk knows that the nation is in crisis. Actually, he knows other nations are in crisis too that have come under the domination of Babylon. But he's been petitioning God for deliverance, not disruption. Deliverance, not disruption. For revival, not judgment. For mercy, not discipline. And he wants life in Judah to change, but he doesn't want Judah to be thrust from the frying pan into the fire, so to speak. He wants a nice, comfortable, good resolution to this problem. And I think at the very beginning of the series, I spoke about how he, he'd watched under King Josiah this, this wonderful revival in that Josiah's heart was turned and the nation did have peace and it, they were led in godly ways when Josiah was the king. But you know, they reverted in three months after he was killed. You see, the heart of the people hadn't changed and God knew that. So revival wasn't enough, was it? But there's a reviving of our hearts that comes when God uses whatever means necessary to bring life back into us, to turn us from our wicked ways. To turn our hearts. The kindness. That's kindness to lead us to repentance, isn't it? And one way or another, God is going to lead his people 
to that place. And it's prophesied. There is coming a day when all Israel will be saved. And God is working. That's the end. That's the end. That's the goal. And he's working right back here in, in, in this day, Habakkuk's day, to bring that about. The nation of Israel still has not turned and embraced their Messiah. As a nation, then they're quite godless, actually. There are religious leaders, but as a nation, they are rebelling against God. That's why we pray for the salvation of Israel, because when we pray for the salvation of Israel, we know that we're praying in accord with what God is doing, and we're, we're partnering with Jesus to declare that thing which he says in heaven, we're declaring it into the earth. And that's really important. God has given us authority to understand what he is doing, to pray with him and declare those things to be. It, it never ceases to amaze me that God does that, that there's a, there's a partnership that he leans into. There's a partnership that he requires. Because it says in the Psalms that the highest heavens belong to God, but the earth he has given to who? Man. When he put Adam in the garden and he told him, Shema, guard, work the garden. When he told him to name the animals, what's he doing? He's giving him dominion. He's saying, you, this is your job, Adam. You do it. So God's agenda is for Habakkuk to receive or to experience, actually, divine wisdom, to have experiential knowledge of something that will release inner strength and confident hope. Let me just remind you of what what we're facing here. We're talking about a cruel, wicked nation coming, destroying or decimating and, and taking into exile God's people and God has his hand on, on that trigger. He's guiding this process into being. And he wants Habakkuk to understand things from his perspective and know that he's holy. He's holy. And no one loves Israel. No one is more committed than the God who had co has covenant with that nation. He wants to give Habakkuk this inner strength and a, and a confident hope, something that will enlarge the prophet. God is wanting to enlarge his church. And it's very clear from scripture that the way he's going to do that, he's going to shake everything that can be shaken. If you felt shaken this week, you're in the divine purposes of God. If you felt shaken this year, you're in the divine purpose. There's a reason is what I'm trying to say. So, so don't arc up against God. <laughs> Get the lesson. Do you know, God said to the people of Israel, when all this is going on, he gave very clear instructions through Jeremiah the prophet. He said, don't resist the Babylonians. Submit to this. Go willingly. And you know, people began to leave Jerusalem because of that word. And then they had to put Jeremiah down a pit to make him be quiet because they didn't want to submit to this, right? They didn't 
want this to happen. It's interesting. God said, submit, go willingly. That's actually my will in this situation. And if you go willingly, you'll live. If you resist, there's a very high chance you'll die in the process. Interestingly, a few years later, quite a few years later when it's just Jeremiah and basically the old and the frail and the sick and the children and whatever who are left be some of the children who are left behind after Jerusalem has been destroyed, the temple has been destroyed, there was a different word from God to Jeremiah and it was tell the people to stay here. They wanted to go back to, guess where they wanted to go all those years later, Egypt. And the word of the Lord through Jeremiah was, no, don't go to Egypt, stay here. What do you think they did? They went to Egypt and who went with them? Jeremiah. The Lord said, okay, go with them. They're being disobedient, but you go with them. What a shepherd, hey? What is this divine wisdom that God insists that Habakkuk write down? We've just read the song. But essentially the wisdom is this, that the person who lives by faith, that is the person who has been tested over and over and has learned to trust God through the testing, will experience him as a safe place in every storm and they will overcome. Wow. That is the summary. It's not, I'm going to tell you every detail. We're going to dot all those I's and cross all those T's because I know how you love to do that. No, he doesn't say that. He says, no, I require you to surrender to my sovereignty. And that doesn't mean you get to know everything. Habakkuk finds peace and comfort. He does. He finds peace and comfort in the midst of this, facing this crisis, but it's not the comfort he was originally looking for. He wanted reassurance that God was going to do something much kinder in his opinion, but God's answer lifted him to a higher perspective. He encountered God. And the knowledge of God, experiential, he's caught up, as he waits, he says, I'm going to stay here. I'm, going to, I'm not leaving my rampart. I'm going to wait until God speaks to me. And the knowledge of God, his plans and his purposes, his perfections, all of this is, is, is like, it's like when you know, God let his glory pass before Moses in the cleft of the rock. Well, his glory passes before Habakkuk. And although his circumstances did not change, Habakkuk bursts into praise and worship with a new faith-filled song. There's no other explanation. How can you go from chapter 1 and 2 and then to chapter 3? It's always puzzled me reading this because it didn't seem like a whole lot happened, if you know what I mean. The stuff we're waiting for. God, you didn't do this and you didn't do this and you didn't do this. What happened? When When Habakkuk, sorry, submitted to God's absolute sovereignty over the coming trouble, it unleashed so much more. A theophany. A trembling in Habakkuk. Worship, rejoicing, freedom, hope, and a confident song. 
Isn't that right? This is like this is a bit like Job. You remember the story of Job? Yes. We don't like to read that story too often. There's a perceived injustice. This does not look like it's fair. What's happening to Job? And he was a righteous man. And there's lots of questioning and accusation against God's character and his purposes with Job. Because we're short-sighted. Okay? That's not in the text. Finally, Job's got some interesting friends who are trying to help him, but they really lack wisdom. Have you ever felt like that in a situation? Like you're trying to help someone kind of deal with their pain and their struggle, but it seems like every, every time you say something, it just doesn't quite cut through. You know? Elihu, the youngest one, is sitting there. Finally, he's like going, I'm sure he's sitting there going, oh, can I say something now? (laughs) God, can I say something now? Finally, Elihu begins to speak. And his speaking, as he begins to declare wisdom and truth, his words bring understanding of God and his purposes somewhat but bigger than that actually what begins to happen is a mighty storm is released right now it's interesting was that like a physical storm probably but there was a storm in the spirit and the prophetic is being stirred up in him and the long and the more he speaks you can hear you can hear the strength gathering and then out of the storm the voice of the lord speaks do you see how elihu's words were important in releasing the storm of the lord in releasing what god then spoke to job i think it's vital he wasn't coming in a storm when job's other friends were speaking was he He wasn't coming with revelation. The voice of the Lord that breaks the cedars wasn't being heard then. But when Elihu spoke, it's different. It's different. And the first words that come out of that storm to Job is this. Who is this that darkens my counsel without understanding? Job I see you. (laughs) Then he's like, really? Stand up. I'm going to speak to you. Or some translations say, who is this that is obscuring my plans with words devoid of knowledge? Wow. I don't really want to hear that from God. Okay, we've got something wrong here. We know the end, right? If you've got Job there, let's go to the end. Chapter 42. God speaks. We don't have time to read it, but it's incredible what God speaks. Absolute truth, perspective, wisdom, and the storm is going on. Finally, verse 42, Job replies to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. There's no but. He keeps going. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. There's still no but. 
you said, listen, and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. There's still no but. Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And you know what? Until we are willing to let our wisdom, our humanistic point of view, whatever, what we think is right, what we think is just, what we think should happen, until we are ready to let that drop to the ground, it's unlikely that we're going to hear the wisdom we need to hear. Psalm 73. This is a tremendously encouraging psalm. It's a psalm of Asaph. And you've got to read it. I don't have time to read it all this morning. But suffice to say, verse 2, he says, But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. And he goes on and he talks about that. He's like, God, it's the same cry that's come up from Habakkuk. Go on to verse 15. If I had spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. Wow. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. Then, verse 17 Highlight it. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. This is exactly what happened to Habakkuk. This is exactly what happened to Job. David got revelation of this. It's all through scriptures. Then I understood. When? When did he understand? What did he do? How did he get this understanding? I went into the sanctuary of God. I got my eyes off myself. I got my eyes off my situation. And I decided to humble myself and enter the sanctuary of God to see what he would show me in his divine wisdom. That's when I understood Truly you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, yet I still belong to you and you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me into a glorious destiny. Three quick things out of this psalm. This is well worth writing out and sitting in. First one, put a guard over my lips, God. When things don't seem to be going the way I think they should, put a guard over my lips. If I'd really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. People are listening to what you say and your perspective. People who know Christ and people who don't know Christ. 
Number two, practice entering the presence of God. Practice staying there with God until you have a deeper understanding. Practice not surveying a hundred people to find wisdom. Let your words be few. Let my words be few. And number three, Asaph realized in that moment when the glory of the Lord, when the understanding was released to him that he was full of bitterness and offense. And repentance is required. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. And so Habakkuk, back to him, chapter 3, he writes this song. I'm going to actually go into the detail of the song on it another time, not today. This song foreshadows a singing people. It does. This song foreshadows a singing people that God is raising up in the nations of the earth. Do you wonder what we're going to be singing when it's all coming down? I've actually put it out there to some of our musicians to write a song that we can sing based on Habakkuk. We'll see if anyone comes up with the, the song of the Lord <laughs> that we can sing together. Maybe someone out there, you might want to write some words. Maybe you're good at poetry and you can hand it on to the musicians. I don't know, but I feel like we need a song, New Life. We need a song. We need more songs. You know, we've got great songs. We've got really nice songs. I want a really raw song. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I think we're going to get a little bit of raw in a minute. At the end when we sing. But these pictures, these theophanies, who Jesus is striding forth in wrath, in anger, threshing the nations. Do you know what? The day is coming when our voices are going to join with the the ones, the martyrs under the altar. And we're going to be saying, Jesus, just and true, release your judgments. Deal, deal with everything that is wicked and evil in the earth. Come now, Lord Jesus. Come now. The armies around Jerusalem. Come now, Lord. We get to sing that song too. It's helpful to think of Habakkuk's song, as I already mentioned, as something he wrote for the nation to sing when Babylon is attacking and ransacking Jerusalem. And during the 70 years of their captivity, it is a song of faith to be sung by the one who suffers. It is the testimony of a believer who's reconciled themselves to loss and suffering as God works out his holy and wise plans. Because we understand in the same way that Jesus humbled himself and left the glorious place of the Father's right hand and became obedient unto death on a cross, he calls us now to put his enemies under our feet And take up our cross and follow him. It makes sense, right? Doesn't that make sense? I'm sorry if you were one of the ones that was thinking he did it for us so we don't have to. It's not true. It's not true. 
He bought us eternal life, forgiveness, forgiveness of sins, acceptance with the Father, belonging to the family forever, eternally. None can pluck me out of his hand. That's what he's done. And now he says, come on. There's a testimony in the earth that's going to be brought about. And I've started it. I've started it in China. I've continued it in North Korea. It's going on in Iran and Afghanistan and Pakistan. You hear me? This is the glory. This is what Jesus is worthy of. Let's get perspective, people. Can we get perspective this week? Next week? Next year? This is the liberating perspective. This is it. And it's only a shock if we have thought that coming to Christ means I don't have to suffer or I don't have to lay down my life or I don't have to lose friends or I don't have to whatever. I don't have to live, you know, like with not much money. You might live with not much money. You might live with a lot of money. It really is not the issue. It's where your heart is. Early in 1934, Martin Naimola mounted the pulpit of his church in the Berlin suburb of Dahlem and prophetically declared God's purpose in the trials that faced the German church. This is a quote from his talk that morning. We have all of us the church in Germany, the whole church and the whole community, we've been thrown into the tempter's sieve and he's shaking and the wind is blowing and it must now become manifest whether we are wheat or chaff. Verily, a time of, of sifting has come upon us and even the most indolent and peaceful person among us must see that the calm of a meditative Christianity is at an end. Satan swings his sieve and Christianity is thrown hither and thither. And he who is not ready to suffer, he who called himself a Christian only because he thereby hoped to gain something good for his race and his nation, is blown away like chaff by the wind of this time. Wow. 1934. That no, it wasn't 1941 or 39. It was 1934. The point is, we have to learn to find our strength in God. We need to know where to lay our hands on scriptures that we can meditate on, that we can gaze into his glory, that we can get lifted high, high, high and lifted up, right? Perspective, like not earthbound up there. I just saw, I just saw the glory of the Lord. I've been praying, Wayne, I've been praying this morning that God would open the eyes of seers in our community and actually release that gifting to more. That might be, what you see with your eyes and visions, it may actually be, as it is mostly for me, the revelation of what I see when I open up the word. It doesn't matter. Ask him to give it to you. But you have to be willing to hear what he says. You have to be willing to surrender your whole life. Really, honestly. Because if he shows you something and then you go, mm -mm, then what? Then what? Come on. Don't we want to be caught up? Don't we want to experience him as our anchor and our rock? 
You know, this week something happened that has been unprecedented in all of our lifetimes, unless you lived or grew up in another country at a particular time. But for Australians, West Australians, we experienced something unprecedented with this mandatory government-imposed vaccination, didn't we? This is not, we're not used to this. We don't feel comfortable with it. To be or not to be. Sounds like a Shakespeare thing. But is that really the ultimate question? And we need to hear God's wisdom for our own situation. Do you know what I'm saying? And there is wisdom for every situation and every season. You know, the sons of Issachar, the reason that they are mentioned in Scripture, not not too often, but the, the one verse we mostly remember is that they... Un- okay. They understood the times and seasons and they knew what Israel should do. Because in one season, it's not necessarily the same word as it is in another season. Do you hear me? We need wisdom. And you know what? I can't give you, I can't put peace and wisdom in your soul just by coming and praying for you. I can't. The Lord can. The Lord can, and he can maybe, you know, in that moment he releases it. But I tell you what, when you're you're up against it and you're really wrestling, if you haven't gone to that place yourself, if you haven't pressed in yourself, it's hard. We need to practice that every day, actually. Lord, I've got to experience you. I've got to, I've got to know you. I've got to know your peace. Lord, show me. I want to, this scripture, this little Bible reading that I read every day. Lord, I, I just want to know your presence. I want to get used to hearing your voice. I want to know that you're guiding me. Lord, grow my faith. Just I'll just know by faith that, you, that you're guiding me. This is what the trials are supposed to do in our lives. I want to ask the worship team to come up. As we just prepare to close now. You know, I I just want to share a a very, it feels like such a small, small story, actually. But it was one that the Holy Spirit highlighted to me. It was when I was about 26 years old. And I'd taken on a role as worship director. It was the first time I'd done that. And, and you you know, I've, I've talked to you before about my wrestle with leadership and didn't really want this role. And God kind of insisted that I take it. So, you know, better make it work, Lord. Well, I walked into a situation at the age of 26, which I later realized was why the senior pastor had asked me to take up this role. There were a lot of things that were out of order in the worship team. And there were, there were several worship teams in, in this particular church. The selfish ambition, pride, sexual immora- immorality, a lack of respect for authority, humanistic ideas about worship, etc. And it was my job. It was my job to bring order and alignment with the biblical model for worship that he put in me. But my attempts to do this brought me head to head with three people in, in the worship team who didn't want to run with me in those, those purposes. They had other agendas. And I was the new kid on the block and I was younger than they were by about 15 years actually. It was my first leadership role in a church and these three very nicely opposed and undermined my efforts at every turn. After several months of this, I became so discouraged, 
I said, Lord, I can't do it anymore. I was utterly worn down, discouraged, constantly intimidated. Wayne and I went on holidays and I made the decision to resign the role when we returned to the church. We'd booked into a John Wimber conference in Challenge Stadium on the last weekend of our holidays. I was sitting in the conference listening to John Wimber. And the Lord spoke to me, very unexpectedly. And he said, Julie, you're not going to resign. Here's what you must do. That was it. And in what was literally a few seconds, he downloaded his strategy to me. It was clear, achievable, it was wise and instantly liberating. And at the same moment as the strategy was given, the oppression that had been on me was lifted. And that was when I knew how heavy that dark cloud and how dark that oppression was and the goal of that oppression. I knew what to do now and I could see it and I knew it was wisdom and I knew I could do it. Gone from utter despair to just like Habakkuk. God, you're so great. I knew somehow he was going to bring a shift. And I was just loving the freedom and the joy and the peace that I felt in in that moment. We returned to work and I followed the simple steps that God had shown me. And it involved writing a letter to the whole worship team. We wrote letters back then. Within the week... The three people who had been undermining my leadership resigned. And the Lord began to bless the worship ministry from that time. But it took courage and I didn't know what the outcome would be. Actually, I just knew that the Lord was leading me and he was delivering me and he was going to do something. Now that's a small story. But you know what? That's been repeated in my life over and over, actually. If you're feeling shaken this week, there's a God who's looking and he's saying, come to me, come on, come on. You may not think anything can bring you peace right now. us to be a people 
who know how to do that. Because the, the unprecedented things are coming. The things we didn't expect are coming. And he wants us to be able to hear his voice in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the chaos. To not be afraid, but to know that he's got me. And he's got wisdom for every single day, every single crisis. He doesn't promise to change the circumstance. He may. But he knows that one glimpse of him is enough to shatter the darkness. worship. I just want to read Luke 22, verse 31 to 32. These are the words when Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. And I believe that translation is correct. Plural. All of the disciples were sifted like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your, bro- your brothers. Jesus saw it all. He saw what was going to happen. He saw how it was going to happen. He also knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. It's like Peter, and, and you know what? And when you've repented, turn back and strengthen your brothers. Jesus, this morning, here we are. Here we are, Lord, and there's been shaking. It feels like nearly two years, actually, of, of shaking in a way. Unprecedented stuff that we haven't had to deal with before, on top of all of the other things that we find difficult. Lord, we want to be people who come willingly and submit to you as the God of heaven and earth. The God of eternity. And Jesus, this morning, our cry, my cry on behalf of myself, my family and my community, Lord, is that we see you high and lifted up. That we encounter you, God. Lord, whatever situations that have been faced, individual situations in our community, Lord, decisions that have been made, the grieving, the processing, the pain, the the confusion, Lord. Right now, Lord Jesus, right now, the words of David, they're suddenly making sense when he said, Lord, you are my light and my stronghold. Whom shall I be afraid? Even if there's an army has besieged me, coming against me to destroy me, I will not fear. Because Lord, this one thing, this one thing I've discovered and I want it to be my enduring reality, to gaze upon your beauty, to draw strength from your glory, to have eyes that are lifted high in every stormy circumstance, to see you in your sanctuary. To be wrapped in your power and your glory. To know that no one can separate me from your love. 
No one can snatch me out of your hand. Oh Lord, I want this reality. This one thing, just this one thing, God, when I'm facing my fear, I've got to know you, Lord. I've got to be able to draw on those experiences in your presence. I'm coming, Lord, because then in the day of trouble, I've experienced, Lord, David said, I've experienced it. Then in the day of trouble, you'll set my feet on a firm foundation and lift me high above my enemies. Oh, Lord, that's what I want. That's what I want all the days of my life. I've got to have that reality. You've come to me in that way, Lord, and you are good. So I will wait for the Lord in the land of the living. I will wait for you, Lord. I will wait for you in confident hope and expectation.